Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey friends, welcome to another episode of the Tennis and Bagels podcast. This is the first Friends Live of the year that we just finished watching, witnessing the champions. Uh, Arena Sabalenka won the women's tournament without dropping a set, and Yannick Sinner won the tournament in great in a great way by defeating Djokovic in the semifinal and uh, beating Medvedev from two sets to love down uh, to win the men's, uh, tournament. But so, yeah, we're here today and just like review a little bit of it and, uh, share our thoughts on the, the rest of the season, what we expect, uh, from the players and what we want to see. Um, this just me and Owen here. How are you doing, man? Uh, doing well. Yeah. Thanks. Um, I'm always a little sad when this tournament is over. Uh, it is my favorite one all year, but I, I got both my picks wrong in the big podcast we did with Murray Musings. I had Sabalenka winning, changed it to go off at the last second, but no, no regrets and excited to break it down with you. Yeah, my pick went out pretty early. Rabakina lost in the second round, unfortunately, uh, which probably was the match of the tournament. Unfortunately, she yeah. wasn't on top of it, but uh, uh, yeah, I'm not sure exactly what to think about it yet. Maybe I think particularly if we're talking about that match, I think definitely would say that it's because Blinkova peaked instead of like Rabakina just kind of um, dipping and not playing well uh, but it could be a little bit of both um, hopefully this doesn't impact the rest of the season uh, she did have a 6-3-6 love or 6-love 6-3 win over Sabalinka the week before um, so this should be at least like some uh, consolation prize from leaving Australia um, but yeah I mean what are your thoughts on the, on the tournament in general? Yeah, so, and uh, I feel like we should tell listeners um, Vonch is going to be doing his regular recap with Steve Frank. Oh, yeah. They're going to be probably focusing more on the ATP, so we're going to lead with WTA and try to spend more time on that in general. Um, So we'll start there. I mean, Sabalenka was dominant, right? I think the one, the one point all tournament where she was in some danger was when the first set against Coco Golf, when Golf surfed for it at 6-5, 30-love after being down a break, I think, a couple of times. And, you know, Goff probably could have done a little better there, but once Sabalenka got out of that, there was no looking back. Um, I don't think anyone looked even very close to being as good as her, to be honest. I mean, I think that match with Goff was tight, and going into the tournament, I had a Goff winning that one, but, man, Sabalenka, it's it's pretty crazy how good she's gotten and how much better she looks than everyone else right now. I don't really understand how you beat her at this point. Um because it's all pace all the time. The serve is good. Um, and like the touch is good and the movement has been getting better, but it's almost like those things don't matter because it's just she hits so damn hard and she's like not missing anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, 
like and there's not really a formula to break that right now like golf at the u.s open um like uh golf did her thing and still defended really well but it didn't throw satellite off at all this time um maybe in patches but she was able to recover so yeah i think and i'll, I'll get into a case for this later on but i think she's the best player in the world right now um what what did you think of of Sabalika and any other thoughts on the the tournament in general before we get more specific? Yeah, I mean, I guess in tournament in general, like just because you mentioned um, that you're always a little sad, like me too. Uh, the only thing that I'm happy about is is really because it's it's very hard to follow the Australian Open. And I said it like in one of the videos that I made earlier. That just a shout out to Australian tennis fans because it must be really hard to follow tennis all year along. Um, and the Australian um, Asia Pacific season is kind of really short in the beginning of the year. And then after that, they only got like China later on. Um, but yeah. And so that's the one thing that is like a little bit of a, a relief for me in that regard. But uh, especially because now we're coming probably back to Americas. So uh, yeah, it's going to be nice for us to have some sleep back. Um, and uh, yeah, about Sabalinka, I mean, I think. I think it grossly overestimated her against golf in particular. I think the U.S. Open match got me thinking that maybe Sabalenka just didn't have the tools to break the defense of golf. She was just going to try to hit harder and harder every time, and then golf would just be comfortable retrieving it. But I think that she, I think that she got close to getting into that position again when she got frustrated enough with golf's defense that. Uh, she couldn't serve. I think she was at some point serving for the set at like five three or five four, and then uh, yeah, and then Goff got like a double, got to a few games in a row, and like served served out for a six six five. Uh, couldn't close it out. I think partly because Goff, unfortunately, didn't at the tail end of like her her time in Australia wasn't playing her best tennis. Um, the Kostyuk match was a total disaster. Uh, I don't even know how. Um, that happened I, I, I think even the players were just like confused like why is this even happening like did they just make the net higher there's no way I'm missing this much um, so it, it, it was just a weird match to watch um, and I think she almost got the best of Sabalink in there maybe if she had served out like the first set who knows maybe it would have been a bit of a different story maybe Goff would have been like okay now I'm actually at my good level I can I can do this again um, but um, I think she got broken to love at 6-5 so it was a uh, no, she she was up thirty love actually. Um, thirty love again, and then it kind of fell apart from there. But yeah, she was really close to that first set. Yeah, so yeah, it's it's a good thing from um, from Sabalink. I think that maybe problem solving um, was good in that match. I think the belief as well, uh, not getting frustrated with the defense, with the winners not coming, um, just playing within herself. Uh, and I think that one of the things that Sabalink does really well, and she. Um, could could do more but like obviously like her baseline game is so good that she doesn't really need to is come to the net i think that she can um finish points at the net really well um she has good um baggage from um, doubles uh where she actually was number one in the world at some point so um yeah i do think that sablinka when she is calm um, and when she's thinking uh, in her game, I think she's the best player in the world. Um, you do have to make her um, struggle. You do have to get her really frustrated so so that that's when you open up the, the space. That's when you make her vulnerable. 
that's when you make her make errors. That's when you make her overdo it. And that's, and that's, that's the only way that you can beat her. And I think probably golf has the best game for it. Or maybe Shriantek can just play on uh, certain surfaces. I think Shriantek can, you know, um, well, namely clay. I think Shriantek has the time to produce her, the shot making that she has to defeat Sabalenka. But I guess like as an all-court player, I think Sabalenka is the best player in the world right now. It's just by ranking points that she isn't number one, but I don't think that she isn't the best player. Like, yeah. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I, I made some notes here. So um, I, I do want to make the case that Sabalenka is the best player in the world. And I I mean, it's not it's not like a fan in me. I do like her, but I, I prefer Sviantek. I really like Sviantek. And um, from, from that angle, Iga is ahead in the rankings by 865 points, which is not nothing, right? Like that's, that's almost a 1,000 level event. So it's not a tiny gap. And then I think the other thing in Iga's favor is that before she lost at the Australian Open, she was on a 17-match winning streak. Um, so I think you could say oh, you know, she just lost once and now everyone's trying to like change the narrative. Um, you should just go by the rankings. But here's where I want to push back. Um, if you look, so Iga is just vulnerable in a way that Sabalenka is not, right? Um, if we look at their last, their results at the last three majors, Sviantek has lost in the quarterfinals of Wimbledon, fourth round of the US Open, third round of the Australian Open. And Sabalenka made the semis at Wimbledon, the final at the U.S. Open, and then won this tournament. And going back, their last six results, Sviantek won the U.S. Open in 2022, lost in the fourth round of the Australian, won the French Open, and then that takes us to the last three. And uh, Sabalenka, um, semifinals of the 2022 U.S. Open, won the Australian Open last year, and then lost in the semis of Roland Garros last year. But here's the thing. Sabalenka could have won every single one of those matches that she lost. She was leading in all of them. Um, and that's not to make excuses for her. She lost those matches, right? But the point I want to make is she is going deep at every single major. You can't take her out early anymore. Um, and even when she loses, it's kind of on her. She was in the lead in all these matches. Um, she's up a set or she's up a set in a break. And when she loses, it's sort of because of her head. And um, whereas you look at Sviantek, and her recent losses kind of hint at matchup problems, right? Like we said for a while, like why is Ostapenko a problem for her? Because Ostapenko can rush her and take away her time. There's a blueprint. Um, I think the blueprint against Sabalenka is like get balls back and hope she like self-destructs. And that's, to me, that's not the same thing. Um... I think against Fiontech, the match is much more on your racket. Um, if we look at how she did this tournament, um, and I, I want to be fair because I don't think she had her best stuff, but she was kind of marked up in every round. Like, even Kennan did some damage. Um, Collins probably should have won, and then Noshkova did win. Um, I, I think Fiontech should have won that match because she was ahead, but she didn't. Um and I, I think there are vulnerabilities there. You can really rush her, especially on a hard court and a grass court. And I think that group of players that can trouble her um, is growing. Like, Noshkaba is 19 years old. Um, this was the biggest match of her career, and she won. And I think 
that seems reproducible, right? Because other players have been doing it. I think Rabakina has been real trouble versus Fiontech. Um, and now it's not just the top players anymore who are doing it in majors. And so I think if you want to make the case that Fiontech deserves the number one, um, yeah, she has it in the rankings, but I think you sort of have to say it's all about consistency at tour level because Sabalenka is doing better in the majors. She's been more consistent in recent majors. Um, and I think she doesn't have these matchup issues. Like her biggest weakness is her mentality. So I don't know. I think when you compare all of that, it's pretty clear to me that, I mean, you know, Sviantec is still the best on clay, still favorite at Roland Garros. But if you ask me who I would rather play right now, I want to stay the hell away from Sabalenka. Um, and I think that probably most players on board would agree with that. Sorry, that was a little long-winded, but I hope that made sense. Yeah, for sure. I think that comes down to, um, I think, an old interview that I think Bonish did with Pete, Pete Bodo uh, in here, or was it you, um, that uh, he said that um, power is still king, in a way. Like, I mean, um, yeah, I in a sense, like, obviously... Um, we think of all the little things that p players can do. We think even of, of a Medvedev kind of player who can just kind of massage the ball back and just kind of find ways to win in, in that way. Um, but um, there's no doubt that if you can just like hit winners like Sabalink or just hit at the pace that she can, even like if we go back, uh, back to the ATP tour and like looking at the way Cinder has been hitting the ball, there's no doubt that there's a huge advantage if you can hit like that and if you can hit consistently from both sides. Um, and if you can have hit a, a big serve, a um, big first serve, and then just kind of like defend well in your second serve, you're on a massive advantage um, to win uh, the big cluster of like zero to uh, one to four um, rally shots that you can, uh, you know. Um, so yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that. I think that um, Shriantek... For the love of that she has for to Rafa, uh, Rafael Nadal, I think she has some of the same weaknesses in that regard. That you can get rushed in that regard. Uh, Long-winded forehand that can you know cause you trouble if you don't have time. That's um, some of what Collins was doing to her. I remember like seeing so many returns that were just like on her feet and it just like she, the forehand, the shape that he has, like she was just kind of like putting it back on court. Uh, and sometimes it would work. I think Shriantek is obviously great enough that she can, you know, make it work in a, in a few occasions and win those matches. But there is there is definitely a level of uh, of technique and style that Sabalenka has that allows her to be more consistent across surfaces. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I don't even... I think that basically... And I think I said as well, like in the video that I just recorded, like in the event about the, the, the women's final, I think that maybe this win that she had uh, against Zhang in particular, uh, and of course, like the overall, like um, um, Australian Open run that she's had, I think that this may help her with the issues that she was having with closing matches because she, she had like a serious problem, like, and she was 40 love up and she, I think she right. had like, Two unforced errors on the forehand, and uh, and then Zhang hit like a drop shot winner. A drop shot winner, yeah. But she didn't play well. Like the points that she she hit the unforced errors, she just like there was no need to hit like like she did. But then she she kind of like took a step back in a way, like a in the proverbial step back, and hit an ace and then uh, on break point, and it went on to win the match. So 
Uh, if you're looking back at like the semifinal that she played, in particularly in particular against against uh, Karolina Mukova, where she was like the five one up and then managed to lose that one. Um, I think that it it could maybe this Sabalinka wouldn't lose that match anymore. So I think that it could be uh, a change that she really needs to you know be number one, not just the best player in the world, but like in the actual official rankings. Uh, she if she can keep that strength, mental strength to you know um, push push it over and and go over the line and finish the matches. I think that it's a very key point of our game right now. Mm. So so I I hear you, but I, I'm kind of going to disagree with that. I, mm. I I thought the same thing for a long time. Like um, and I thought it when she won the Australian Open last year. Like um, you remember that last game when um against Rabakina? I think she double faulted on at least one championship point. Um, but then I think she had to win it on her fourth one. But but then she did, and I I, I was like I was exactly like saying what you just said. I was like, mm. oh, she figured it out. Like the all these demons are gone. Mm. Um. She's going to be able to close out, and then she lost against Mukaba from a set and a break, and then she lost against Jabir from a set and a break at Wimbledon. Um, so I kind of think these issues are always going to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think maybe they'll go away a little bit, like, um, but I don't know. I kind of think that, and, and I think we talked about this on Talking Tennis as well when I was um, when we were talking to John. I think she's just so good that she can now like survive these patches a little more. You know, like I. I do think she gets nerves like that that patch against Gaw when she was up five three and then she got broken twice in a row that shouldn't have happened um she just hit her way out of it because she's so good like I don't think I don't know I, I don't really think she's like a Zen master or like a mentality master um I think she's just so good at tennis that a lot of the time that's gonna overpower the nerves um so like I I kind of do expect her to have some more choky losses in the future um. I just think there won't be as many of them because her game is so imposing. And even when she is kind of imploding, um, the points are still played on her terms. Like, she never gets tentative, right? Um, I've never seen Sabalenka push. And so um, so if she makes the ball, things are going to go her way. Um, and um, I, I don't know, you may be right that like now that she has two majors, um, like getting used to it a little more, playing in more big matches like this um it might happen a little less but i kind of think that this is just something she has um and it's a weakness she's gonna have but she's so great that it's not really gonna matter a lot of the time if that makes sense yeah i mean there, there could be a possibility that is just like a slow learning curve for her like in that regard like it um you don't you don't become like a tiebreak master like Djokovic did overnight like i mean uh, he he Sort of did that, but like Djokovic is a different story. And uh, we're back in the WTA tour here. She has two Grand Slams. Um, that's that's a good number, um, but um, she's not necessarily. She's still like building up her her career, still her resume. I think that she can still like um, get even more experience at that level. Get even more experience, like winning those semifinals at Grand Slams, and uh, it, it might be just something that she, as you said, like she maybe choke out a few more. Uh, but maybe the tendency is going to be that she will do this less and less. So I feel like I feel like this could be a learning curve that for her is just a little bit uh, steeper than than for others. Is not going to be like a click that uh, I would have mentioned all because she she just beat Zhang like uh, in that fashion and because she was able to overcome golf again like now that she's going to be good for every other match. I don't. You may be right. I think that she 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 will still suffer from those things. 
Um, but she just can rely maybe on the confidence that she has on her own game to just be like, I can hit this ball as hard as nobody else like can on tour. Yeah. So if I choke this game out, I'll just go back to to my seat and I'll just like put myself together and just hit it out again and just try to get it over the line this time. But yeah. Yeah. And um I, I agree with that. And I, I wanna make a point about golf as well. Like as I, I'm sure she's disappointing disappointed. And um that match with uh Kostiuk, that I want to talk a little bit about that because it was so interesting. But so the quality was atrocious, as you rightfully pointed out. Um, but I think the takeaway I had from Goff's tournament was um, she can have a lot of success even when her forehand completely falls apart. Like that, the reason that match with Kostiuk was such a grind was because Kostiuk realized and had the patience to do this. I'm just going to hit every single shot to Coco's forehand because she can't hurt me. She's going to miss. And if she kind of pushes it to the middle, I'll head it back to the forehand until she misses. And so you had these like excruciating rallies where Goff would hit like 10 forehands and like miss the 11th, you know? Um, but the thing is, she won. Um, even though her forehand was as bad as I have seen, um, at least in a while. And then against Sabalenka, I don't know that it was like a whole lot better. I think it was still a pretty big weakness. And she lost like a close match in straight sets where she probably should have won the first set. Um, so again, I'm sure she's disappointed, but if you contrast that with when people were saying, oh my God, she has to improve this forehand or she's never going to win a major. I mean, that's completely out the window, right? Like not only has she won a major already, but I think, I don't know, she probably would have beaten Zhang, right? It was Zhang's first major final. Um, m maybe she wouldn't have, but she would have been the favorite. Um, that match against Sabalenka wasn't a blowout, and she just beat Sabalenka at the U.S. Open. Um, I don't think she has that much to worry about, really. Like, I think she's worked out ways to protect that forehand so well that even when it completely fails her, she's still one of the best players in the world. Um, and that was not always the case. So, I I don't know. I, I don't think, I, and I don't know that anyone is saying this, but if anyone were to say, like, Oh, Goff's forehand is terrible again. She really needs to work on that. I kind of disagree. Like, I think in an ideal world, it would be a bit better than it was at this Australian Open. But I think she's kind of fine. Um, wh what are your thoughts on that? Do you um, do you maybe see it a little differently? Or, um, I, I think that like incremental uh, changes and and uh, improvements can always be done in a certain way. Like, maybe technique is going to in just um, change a little bit over time. Even if you look at like some of some of the tennis greats like they have had, had extremely long careers. You've noticed some things that, that changed in the way that they hit. So I think that's just something that can it we cannot just discard it. I feel like it's not something that we're going to that she's she she would just like have the exact same forehand forever and that's it. Um I also I also don't think that she she would just be happy with it just because she can defend it well. I don't think that she's just something that is just like, yeah, I'm good. And let just practice something else. Or I think that there's always level of um, of improvement that you can do um but i think you're right i don't think it's going to become like a del potro forehand or like a serena williams um it you know i think that's it's going to always be coco's forehand uh maybe her forehand is her backhand is always going to be her best shot um maybe she'll always double fault here and there um you know um but i, th I do think that one of the things that she does really well is that she doesn't really let it happen in, in like all at one at the same time she doesn't um Sometimes most uh, a bit for the the serving, but it's it's a whole lot more controlled now in terms of the double faulting, 
Um, but she doesn't hit like I don't know four unforced errors like right away, like to to go like a, a breakdown or to lose a break um, advantage because she just kind of had like a in in a three shot rally she just hits the forehand long or like hits like really badly. Even sometimes she's able to like hit her aggressively. So I yeah. think that she's 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 good. I think that she's I think that she's trying to improve even as uh, as the months go by. Um, I think that she's she's trying her best to make the shot um, not be a liability, uh, to be neutral, and then to be something that she can actually use to put her in her favor, even if it's not going to be the same level of a Sabalenka forehand uh, in yeah. that regard. But yeah, I mean, I think Goff would definitely be Jung. <laughs> I, I I don't think that I think that she wouldn't have need to do much. I think that she just needed to be um, pretty. Um, consistent i think john would have been um i think that if we're talking a little bit about the final itself i think that she was she was too um she was trying too hard i would say like i feel like she tried so hard to like you know be as aggressive as sabalinka i don't think that she her game plan included like um maximizing her strength as much as it did like trying to match sabalinka's uh, which, as you said, like I feel like it's there's no nobody really on tour that can really do that. So um, I think that if we're, if you we were a golf, I, th- I think she would have been just very comfortable, just kind of like extending the rallies and having Zhang, you know, and and that hitting an enforced error or you know, mm-hmm. waiting for for waiting a little bit longer. I think Sabalenka didn't need to wait, but I think Sab- uh, golf would have been satisfied with the wait. Uh, so mm-hmm. yeah, I I would say that I agree, like to an extent that. Um, I think Goff is good enough that she's able to hide the weakness. Um, I don't know exactly who said it, like, but it was, I think it was maybe Dan Shriver, uh that uh, everybody has weaknesses, but like the the good tennis players are going to be able to hide it extremely well. So that's 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 what she's grown to do with her game. Yeah, and I I didn't mean to say that she shouldn't try to make it better. Like I agree with you that of course she should practice it and all of that, but I. I guess I feel like the way I would approach it is like it doesn't need to be good. Like she's proven that it just needs to be good enough. Um, oh yeah. And um, well, like this tournament, it was kind of god awful in stretches, and she still made the semifinals. So I, I would kind of look at it that way. Like it doesn't need to be that much better than it was. Um, uh, yeah. That that's all I'm. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I think. It, and if you go back to the Kostyuk match, I do think that Kostyuk. Um, even though she was patient, I think that at some points she just, you know, when you see the target, when you see the price so close, it just just kind of uh, stumbled and just made a few unforced errors that made no sense. And a few, I, I don't remember points exactly like you and Vonsh are able to, but I, I do remember that she made a few, uh, she had a few forehands into the net uh, in important moments. And I just remember just kind of her like shrugging to the box. It's like, what's going on? And I think that um, Goff, in the level that the match was, I think Goff was just a more um, mature player um, match match wise um, to you know come out of it. It's like it's okay, I'm playing god awful as you said, but I don't give a crap. I'm just gonna win this. Like it doesn't matter that I'm playing amazing. It just matters that I get get over the line and give myself a chance to fight another day. And that's exactly what she did. And I think that um, you know Kostiuk maybe lacked a little bit of that and just try to keep raising her level instead of maybe trying to like a bit of a different approach is like well 
if Goff didn't miss on the eleventh forehand, maybe he's gonna miss on the twelfth. <laughs> I don't have, I don't need to hit a winner now on this on this shot or I don't need to like hit the lines. I just I'm just playing a little bit more aggressive now. I see how it goes and just you know see how it goes. But like I don't think that that was much of it. But obviously she she displayed like great uh, mental strength to you know push that match to a third set and make it as long as he was because it was a pretty long match in terms of games and I think time as well. Yeah, like p- people might laugh at me for saying this, but kind of level aside, I was actually pretty impressed with both players. Like I think um. Even even though I, I agree with you, like there were points when Kostyuk probably could have attacked a little more. Like that, ge- her game plan was hit to the forehand, and she hit to the forehand. And I think most players aren't patient enough to do that. You know, like if they were, every golf match would have looked like that. Um, but they don't. And what does that tell you? Like in reality, like what? Why would you ever hit to golf's backhand when her forehand is there? Right? Like you should go there on every shot. And so when Kostiuk was doing that, I was like, I, it's a perfect game plan. It's boring. It's hard to watch, but she's doing exactly the right thing. Um, and I I honestly don't really blame her for missing on big points. I think she kind of just faded physically in the third set. Um, I think she went down like 5-0 or something, and at that point, you're not coming back. But, but for a while, I was like, yeah, she's like reduced Coco Goff, the US Open champion, to like a... Not not quite a moonballer, but like she's just hitting back these like paceless forehands to the middle of the court over and over because she can't do anything else. Um, that was kind of impressive to me, and like a very in a way that was very like you know displeasing to watch. Uh, but um, for like from a tennis standpoint, um, yeah, I mean, because like that's what Nadal did with Federer, right? Like um, you hit to that backhand eleven times or twelve times until it cracks, and um kind of a lesser known example like that's what Djokovic did with Nadal's backhand like he would hit to that side like over and over and over until you miss and it's not just about trying to get the miss it's about like you make the opponent less confident in that shot right like you have to hit it over and over and maybe that shot isn't even that bad but like you don't really want to hit your weaker shot 10 times in the same point and so that's going to get in your head and then you're going to start missing more um I actually loved the game plan. That might be a bit of a controversial opinion, but yeah, I had no disagreements that the match was uh, pretty terrible quality, so we don't need to spend more time on it. We can move on. Yeah, I think just like the last thing that I want to say about it is that like when it turns to game plan um, and not having the patience to execute, I think that's something that um, I was trying to draw a line like where where um, where we can be relatable in that sense. Like if you ever played a match. Like in a recreational context, in amateur context, club context, um, there is always a moment when it is like it feels like you see that like a huge opening and just like I'm just gonna hit it there, and then like yeah. it was the the worst decision that you made in that point because you should have just kept it going because like that was probably the best option, <laughs> um, and that's probably what it is. I feel like you mentioned this as well, like when Federer used to play Nadal, that Federer's forehand is better than Djokovic's, like um, in general, I would say like. Djokovic's forehand is amazing, but like Federer's forehand is like an all-time great forehand, right? Yeah. And he didn't have the patience to keep hitting to Nadal's backhand, right? Exactly. Federer was a kind of player that like saw the open and he tried to go for it. Like he wasn't a player of like 11 shot rallies or 25 shot rallies. He was a player of like three and four. Like as soon as he gets a forehand, he's going to go for it. And I think that's, I think one of the things that you even mentioned that that's probably like what, what caused him to like um, lose um, against Nadal, the thing that kind of got him out of trouble was that he just needed a better backhand. 
and that's why he did at the end of the day. Um, but yeah, I think um, to execute the strategy, Coco Goff has what she needs, which is the physical capability of um, keep it going and not break physically. Which, as you said, like Austin probably faded in the end; it just didn't have the energy, and Goff did. So yeah, yeah, and that um, the forehand being pretty bad, like. Of course, that puts a ceiling on Goff. Like, she can't... I mean, I feel like with a Sabalenka or m- maybe a Sviantek, like, when they peak, I think it's like, my oh my god, like, they could just win indefinitely. And Goff is never going to have that because, like, she doesn't play as many points on her terms. But she will probably win more majors, right? Like, I think for, for what she has, she's going to be enormously successful by anyone's standards, right? Like, yeah. she could be... um and I, this word feels like a backhanded compliment, but I don't mean it that way. Like, she will probably go down technically as like an incredible overachiever, like doing a lot with kind of lim- a limited toolkit in one sense. And of course, um, what she lacks in the forehand, she has in her backhand, and she has the speed, uh, best defender on tour, clearly, I think. Um, but I mean, if you say to someone like a tennis expert, if you like pretend they don't know Coco Golf, I know that makes no sense. A tennis expert who doesn't know Coco Golf, but like in general, it kind of violates conventional wisdom to say like a player with a bad forehand can win multiple majors, right? Like it doesn't really work in your head, but she's probably going to do that. Um, and I, I don't know. I think that's really impressive. Yeah. You think that she can be number one? Well, so I was looking at the rankings earlier. I think she's three right now. Yeah. Um, and I think she's still 19 years old. So, I mean, yeah, absolutely. Um, she's right now, she is 2,500 points more or less behind Iga. Um, yeah, why not? Um, she, um, you know, if she gets a little better on other surfaces, maybe, um, Iga and Sabalenka have like a down year. Um, sure. I think it'll happen at some point, maybe not for very long, but yeah. What do you think? Uh, same here. I think that, um, I think that she's, uh, as, as I said, like 19 years old. I think that we, with incremental changes that I've mentioned uh, and, and improvements that she can make on her game, I, I don't see why not. And I think that with, uh, I think that with her intelligence on court, I think that she's a great problem solver. I think she's going to put herself in just a great position to, you know, exploit whatever weaknesses that she can find over other players and um, defend hers extremely well so that she can end up like winning more majors, as I said. And, I mean, I feel like if she ends up winning more majors and on a more consistent basis, um, I think that it's really hard not to be number one unless the other player that is number one at that moment is just winning more than you are in other things as well. Um, so, yeah, I agree. And um, you know, kind of zooming out a little bit, I was thinking about how we we had that big three on the WCA for a bit, which was um, Sviantek, Sabalenka, and Rabakina. Um, and now it feels like Goff is on that level as well. And with, um, and like Rabakina has maybe fallen out momentarily with that early loss. She's down to fifth now in the rankings. Um, I, I'm sure that, and it, it feels a little unfair to like relegate her that way after just like one loss, but it came so early that she lost all of those points. And I'm, I'm sure that she will and can like, can and will climb back up soon. Um, if she gets back to her um her usual level, but um, do, how how do you kind of see the WTA right now? Like, are um, Goff, Sabalenka, and Sviantek kind of on their own plane right now? Because it does feel like 
there is kind of this like group that's distancing themselves from the rest. Like Pagula is fourth in the rankings, but I think it's harsh to put her up there with her record at the majors. Um, Jabur, I think, can be up there when she's at her best, but since Wimbledon, she hasn't been close, so it feels like she's kind of floating on level two right now. Um, I don't know. It kind of feels like the the top three are starting to break away from everyone else. I know Iga didn't have a good Australian Open, but she did win 17 matches in a row before that. Yeah, I think in terms of consistency, those those players are definitely the ones there that I see like maybe in the next um, three to five years as being the dominant forces in the WTA. I think that they are going to keep themselves there. Um, uh, and I, I hardly see much change coming from um, Jabor and uh, Pigula in that in in what could be like maybe a a defining moment that is going to change them from like um, top top five in the world to um, a contender for number one as you know as we just put golf in that position. And um, when it comes to Rabakin, I think it, specifically that loss, I would say is it was just. Um, it just it's one of the things that just happens i would say like it's she could have very well just just won that match it's not that she like she got blown away off the court like by blinkova um all their players have lost in like earlier rounds and they came back and won bigger bigger tournaments later on i think that rabakina is, is going to overcome that uh loss and um yeah it's just the unfortunate um nature of the rankings is that you do lose a lot of points um it, it makes sense obviously but like it it's it doesn't necessarily mean that your level is um is has dropped that much in that regard. Um so it's a bunch of things that we need to see as, as well. Like it was hoping that um Rebecca can bounce back from it and like we'll excited to see like what she does in the next tournaments. Because it's obviously like we had for twenty twenty four not a whole lot that we saw from her. Obviously, like she she had that huge win over Savalinka, I think in Brisbane. Um, but that was a two, was it a 500 to 50? I never remember. I think it was. I'm not sure, but. Yeah. Anyhow, it wasn't a grand slam. Um, and then she lost in the second round. So it's been, it's been now like a week, maybe almost two that we haven't seen Rabak in the play. So it's kind of falling off of our heads. Like in that regard, like the problem with recency bias and tennis is just like a week in, week out, like you lose your out. Um, So it's, we have to wait and see a little, but I do think that her level has been consistent enough for that one. Um, I think that's, that's a really good um, season of players, like generation of players. Are we going to see a few, um, maybe if Osaka can get back up there, but like the ones, the ones that we have right now, uh, Sviantek, Sabalenka, Golf, who can, I can easily see them. Uh, of course, of course, Fiontech already has four Grand Slams. Sabalenka has already two, but I can see them like going like near the the five five to eight um, Grand Slam mark. I feel like if they all could get to some point around there, uh, I think we're gonna have ourselves a really interesting um, generation of players. The next five to ten years of tennis could be really good. Not to that in that regard. Yeah, I, I need to think a little more before I guess how many majors they're gonna win, but I think. Um... I'm really excited for the potential rivalries here. Like, those three players you named are all 25 or under. Now, Rabakina is 24. Um, Zhang is 21. Maybe she um, makes her way up to that group at some point. Um, Vodrosova is 24. And I was thinking, um, 
like the I really like the developing rivalry between Sabalika and Goff. It's such a pure uh, contrast between offense and defense. Um, like I, I want to see that matchup more. Um, Goff and Sviantek. Like in the past, Sviantek has had her number, but Goff has a little momentum now. She got her first win over Iga um, towards the end of last year and has lost to her again since. But can that get any more competitive? I want to see um, Sviantek and Sabalika play more. And, and it feels like. Hopefully we will because they're all so young and they're all so highly ranked. But I think, and I think this kind of plays into the Robachina thing, the, the best of three in the majors, man, it's so tough. Like b- before the tournament, how much, how much momentum did Robachina have? She might've been like the most popular pick for the tournament after she demolished Sabalenka. And then she runs into a red hot Blakoba, boom, out in the second round. Um, and um, so it makes it tough, right? Like, these players aren't automatically going to get to each other because it's really easy to lose in best of three. It doesn't mean they're not consistent. Um, it's just that if you run into the wrong opponent on the wrong day, um, you can lose. Like anyone can lose except Sabalenka right now, who's seemed to like kind of become upset proof. Um, but like best of three is just really, really hard. Um, and I think, um, yeah, it's impossible to say what certain best of five matches would have looked like if they were best of three, but we had a lot of highly ranked ATP players who went very deep, who had to play a lot of five setters, right? Like, they had more margin. Whether you think they would have won in best of three or not, um, like, they had more room to play with, and these um, these top WTA players or any WTA players just don't have that, and so... Um, I mean, that's why we shouldn't say, like, oh, this this player is not consistent, um, or, like, the WTA isn't consistent. Um, but, I don't know, I, I wish that more of it were best of five, because then I would feel like we would get these matchups a lot more often. Yeah. Yeah. And to be honest, like, I feel like I, I totally agree with you in that regard. I think that um, if, if there's anything that the WTA right now is, right now I think it's consistent. Just because they're not like winning um, back-to-back Grand Slams, of course, like Sabalenka kind of just did that, but like a year over year, but not necessarily like a Roland Garros Wimbledon double. Like I feel like, um, especially comparing, like in comparison, is 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 awful but, uh, by all means. But um, it's uh, when you start comparing um, a consistency of like a Serena Williams or Venus. Uh, even like going back even further, like a uh, Inan and Clive uh, Sturz, players like that. For one, it's all in hindsight, right? So like, it's a their careers already like over. Um, you know, it's technically still playing, but like, her career is as good as over right now in terms of like winning big titles and things like that. So it, in in hindsight, it's obvious that like, oh, they're they were consistent. Why couldn't they be? Well, for one, uh, Shriantek has already four Grand Slams, so that's. I think yeah. that's pretty consistent to me. Um, one over the course of three three years, um, 2020, 2021, 2022, and 2023. Um, so that's 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 one thing. Sabalenka has been extremely consistent in the majors. Just couldn't be, it wasn't able to win a few of those matches. Uh, and, but, and then like you got golf who made the final of the French Open and then followed up uh, a year later with... Um, the win in the U.S. Open, I think they're pretty consistent. Just like and and when I'm saying like uh, I think I mentioned like the five to eight Grand Slams, I think that for me that's a mark of a, a a dominant generation in that regard. Like I feel like that's when we see players who are consistently good in that regard. But I think we could even like lower it to like some three to four. Um, and then 
uh, I could easily see Goff getting to three. Um, obviously, Sabalenka could even see like getting to maybe five, um, depending on like how well she got so close. I feel like there's no reason not to to say that she wouldn't. But I would say probably maybe like she can add like another another four and get to maybe six. Shriantek I can definitely see getting another three, maybe three four. Um, but it's all obviously speculation. But I feel like that would be the mark of a consistent consistently dominant generation over the years so yeah and this um this wasn't relevant to the who is the best player right now debate that we had at the beginning but i mean with ego we're already watching a generational talent like you said um four majors at um 22 years old and sabalanka is starting to show us that she might be a generational talent as well um like we are watching these like we're we're watching some all-time greats um and i think um to sort of harf on, oh, Iga lost in the third round. I mean, I know I did that, but that was only to make the point that Sabalenka is the better player right now. Um, I think that's kind of missing the point that, the, like I said, these players are probably all-time greats and um, like al- already Hall of Fame worthy and might go down as like even more impressive than that. So I, I think it's um, I think it's a good time for the WTA. <laughs> and um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see where it goes. Yeah. And uh, just coming back a little bit to to Zhang and maybe just to mention a little bit of over of that final. I think specifically the final, uh, she obviously beat everybody that she needed to beat in terms of being there. Her draw, like there's uh, talks about like oh it wasn't it wasn't as heavy in terms of like big names and higher ranked players. But I mean yeah. she she did what she needed to do. Uh, she could have easily uh, choked, uh, but because of the pressure of being the semifinal, could have gone either way or quarterfinals, uh, and she got to red hot um, dominant Sabalenka and I don't think anybody really uh... Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Expected Zhang to win, to win that match. Um, but what do you think that she did wrong and what do you think that she could have done better uh, in that match? Maybe to make it a little bit more competitive? Could, it, could she have taken a set off of Sabalenka at all? Um, so I'll preface this by saying that I did not watch either final. Um, okay. I I crapped out with the sleep, um, and I didn't get up for them. Um, I I don't know. I think it's it's hard when it's your first major final. Um, and I think also when you're playing someone like Sabalenka, who is going to hit the ball so hard, um, it's like you're nervous already, and then it's like you have no time to do anything. Um, I think that's extremely difficult. So I don't. I'm not going to criticize her for this performance at all. Um, I mean, but but looking at the stats, I think there are some things to work with here. She um, she won 80% of the points on her first serve. Um, she won 58% of the points on Sabalika's second serve. Um, so she was having some success offensively and defensively. Um, she didn't break, but she did have break points. Um, she only won five fewer points on the return for the whole match. Um, it's not terrible. Um six double faults that's a few too many 51% of first serves Sabalenka had 67% so ideally Zhang would make a few more but um 
I don't know. I think the first major final is more about the experience than anything <laughs> else. Like, especially when you're playing a better player who you're not supposed to be. Um, it's not, I don't really see it as like a failure if you lose because no one was expecting you to win, except maybe you. Um, and I know that the mindset of a professional athlete is difficult. So I'm not, um, I, I definitely wouldn't like fault her for thinking like, um, oh, I, you know, I failed. I should have won that. But, um, kind of from my perspective, like, um, I don't really think there's much to criticize. Like she didn't get double legal. Um, it's not, she didn't embarrass herself. Like she competed. She made Sabalika work really hard in that last game. Um, and now she knows she can make a final. So, um, sorry. She's seventh in the world now. Um, I think it was a great tournament for her. Yeah. I think that in terms of like the experience, is, uh, I think she, she was extremely disappointed not to have won, which I think speaks to the mentality that you must have. Like, um, I think the worst thing that you can do as a professional player, regardless of like your level, is just like walking on court defeated, especially if you're in the Grand Slam final. I feel like unless you got there like extremely by chance, everybody withdrew and like you got like some very very weird con um, conditions for for you to be up there i think that that was not the case for Zhang. yeah she got like some uh, some lower ranked players here and there some upsets a, a lot of the upsets come in the uh, top of the draw but she still played had to play really well um yes Tremska is a was a qualifier but she's a three-time wta uh titleist on tour more titles even than Zhang, uh and um She's former world number twenty one, so it was it, it was definitely a match that like the the ranking didn't necessarily matter in that regard. So um, she played who she had to. Uh, she got there. I do think that in particular, I think that Zhang. Yeah, the 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 thing with the stats, I think that it, it's it's hard to tell when the things happen. But like the thing for me is like the double false. They all basically happen. In clusters, uh, and okay. they basically she just gave away a few games because of that. So maybe nerves. Um, I think she she tried a little, um, she tried a little much to go for the lines. I think that she wasn't necessarily like um, problem solving with the experience that would come from being this in this position before. Um, whereas I think Sabalenka was just had the advantage of like being a heck of a lot more experience and and that level. Um, so yeah, I think now that now that she's been there, I think that look she's gonna be able to look back and see like, okay, we got something to work on now. Like there's yeah, there's a final like right in front of me. There's a player that um, was the world number one last year, uh, is now the world number two, two time Grand Slam champion. I played against her. What what can I do better? What how what can I do to, to beat her? And I don't have the same weapons that she that she does, but neither did Goff when she won the U.S. Open. So like, right. what what can I what level of comparisons can I do here? Like what can I work with like bring some elements into my game i think that Zhang has um great talent um great uh mentality uh and it's just great to watch her play i think she moves extremely well and defends extremely well as well so yeah i'm expecting good things from her maybe not great yet but um she got close to great so who knows maybe great is on the radar for this season still yeah, um, I mean, I, I don't think anyone before the tournament was expecting her to make the final. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm excited to see what's next for her. Um, do, do you have any more more thoughts on the WTA um, before we head on the ACP event? Uh, not really. Just um, I think we talked a little bit about it, but like, um, or maybe not because like uh, Vitolina was just kind of had to uh, retire from their match. 
so it's a, a, a bit of a shame but um yeah i wish he could have gone a little bit further and like play more matches i think it would have been interesting a uh, great story as well so expecting good things maybe maybe she can win her first grand slam this season i think that's not necessarily off the table she's definitely like on, on the dark horse um dark horse team but uh yeah i think that's the one thing that i find that could be interesting to see uh, and was a shame but i think that you you mentioned and i mentioned and like the um if you can uh play like sabalenka it's uh it's really good to have power so i'm gonna use this very bad segue to talk about yannick sinner who has the power Not terrible. yeah who has the game who has the confidence both wings are phenomenal um and yeah what did you think about this 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 men's tournament? I know you have some questions, but yeah, we'll get to it. Yeah. Um. Well, I have to start by with an admission, which is um, I didn't think he was ready for this. Um, I didn't even think he was going to make the semifinals because I had gotten so used to him losing a five setter to someone before the semifinals. Um, and I didn't want to read too much into what happened at the end of the year because we've seen it a lot where like. We saw with Felix in 2022, you go on a great run or at the end of the year, and then you come back at the start of the next one, and um, that level just isn't there anymore. But with Center, it was. Um, he, I don't know, I think what impressed me the most about this tournament was I'm not convinced he ever even had to play his best. Um, I think, I mean, against Djokovic, we'll talk about this more later, I don't even think he had to get out of first gear. Um everyone a lot of people were saying like oh he was so amazing like he was really good he never had a dip but i'm not convinced he had to do anything that i thought was like beyond his capabilities you know like um i wasn't it wasn't like an alcaraz in the wimbledon final kind of thing it was like he was just solid you know um and because his game is so good for him being solid is like amazing and really really hard to beat but you kind of would expect it to take a little more against Djokovic, and it didn't. Um, and then in the final against Medvedev, um, the last three sets, he only faced one break point. Um, which, um, and I, th I think there was like a 15-30 in there, maybe like a 30-all. Um, he really wasn't under that much pressure. So, and I think people probably knew what was going to happen in that match by like the, the fourth set. Um because Medvedev was like fading physically. So um yeah, I'm super impressed with him. I think um like I said, I don't even think this was like his best necessarily. Um so I'm excited to see what that is. Yeah. I, I, I agree with you. I don't think he was necessarily pushed uh, in this uh, in this run for this his first Grand Slam title. If anything, he was pushed um mentally in the sense that like he needed to um stay, you know, sharp and stay awake and for the moments and just like keep her le his level from like dropping i think he could have easily dropped his level against Djokovic when he lost the the third set uh but he did extremely well to you know m just understand for himself that he was playing better than Djokovic that he didn't he couldn't let Djokovic's aura beat him he needed to uh have Djokovic raise his level to beat him and i think that Yannick's base level is just incredible. So I feel like because his floor is so high, um, and I guess we, we could see this a little bit against Bias, um, because yeah. um, Bias had to play out of his mind to win a few points. And Sinner is just like basically 
shooting practice shots, right? So like it was, yeah. it was, it was almost sad to see like the difference in in level in that match because like how could this happen to a tennis player? Like how can Sinner be that consistently good? He hits with consistent pace and consistent spin. Like you never really feel like he's going to like miss a shot all that much unless he actually overplays, which kind of happens. Um, and I think he, he did ex- just did extremely well not to let um, Medvedev win the third set um, in in the final. And then when that third set was was won, I think it was he was gone. I think all the the next two sets were basically the same. They basically happened the exact same thing. Um, and Sinner was just like on cruise mode, like cruise control. Um, he wasn't pushed. He just needed to stay solid and stay sharp. Um, and I think he did just that. I think he. His his floor is just extremely high. I just really want to see his ceiling now, if there is there's one really. <laughs> but um, so that's one of the things why I think we really need more of a Alcaraz in his match. And I think Djokovic needs to play better next time that they play um, to maybe produce a, a solid Grand Slam match. But obviously, extremely deserved. Like th- there's there's nothing to take away from a Grand Slam title like this. So you yeah. know. Yeah, and um, I, I think so. I think we should talk about Medvedev too. But since we're kind of already on the subject, I want to know what you think happened with Djokovic, um, because I've heard some like some theories or like age is catching up to him, and um, I don't really agree with any of those. Um, like the people who are like, oh, he's he uh c- could be father time creeping in. Like he looked really good at the end of the match against Fritz. And when people are like he um he hasn't been good all all tournament, like well not really right because he barely lost a game against Manorino. He made Fritz play out of his mind to win a set against him, and then he crushed him down the stretch. Um, he played worse against Sinner. Um, so if you're going by that theory, he basically literally would have had to get old overnight. Um, and with one match of evidence, I don't really buy that. Um, and like, like we talked about, Sinner didn't really get out of first gear. And so I don't really buy that Sinner, like, kind of shut down Djokovic's entire game because we've never seen anyone do that before. And, um, while Sinner was playing very well, he wasn't, it wasn't like tennis that we had never seen before, right? Like Djokovic didn't produce a single break point. I think they made this point on, on the tennis podcast, maybe. Um, and Sinner made, um... He made 58% of his first serves, which is not a crazy number. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I'm curious. Like, what do you think happened with Djokovic? Because I kind of think there was something going on that we just don't know about. And I don't know what that thing is, but I don't yeah. think people found it yet. Yeah. Well, I, I've, I've read some things about, like, maybe the day session kind of screwed him over a little bit. Uh, something about this Australian Open just kind of made people play bad matches at times. Uh I think that Djokovic was like really trying. I I think defensively, um, he was being a bit overplayed by Sinner, but I think it was it was more of it was more of a fact that he wasn't really able to like get balls in, in play the way that he normally does, like with some depth and uh, just defending, like really finding the angles and finding some um, some you know the lines here and there. Um, but I saw his forehand just like faltering so much, like in this match. I really wish I could see like. Uh, a more detailed data about like a, a forehand and forced errors and backhand and forced errors and, and forced errors as well like in that regard because there are so many times that I saw Djokovic building a point rather nicely 
uh, and he just netted the forehand like out of nowhere. And he was even himself was getting frustrated at some points. I couldn't. I was just like, "What is what is happening? Like, is is something going on? Like, I don't want to like pull the injury card. Like, but it was there something going on? It was just like something that was like just mildly bored, bothering him that like he couldn't make it, or is it just like really just the day session that, that wasn't very good, or was it the just center just came out playing well right off the bat, um, and Djokovic never really had time to settle because he kind of just got down to still up so quickly, uh, um, but." I don't know. I feel like it was just if there was ever a bad day for Djokovic, that was it. Like he just had like a really, really bad day uh, on yeah. court. He just did not play a good match. That's exactly what it is. He won that third set by pure grit, right? Like purely just refusing to lose the games they should have lost. Mm-hmm. That's the only reason why he won that that the, the third set. Yeah, exactly. And like, I and and I like what you said about it being like a really, really bad day because people are like oh, you know, everyone has a bad day. And I'm like, yeah, but this was not a bad day. This was like his worst day ever for like 18 years or something. Yeah. Um, like the only match in his professional career at a major where he didn't produce a break point, right? And like, it, and it was kind of more than that as well. It was like his demeanor. Um, Like he, you know, when he would celebrate, he did like the raised fist thing. I don't think he ever like said anything. He didn't make any noise. He didn't yell. He wasn't talking to his box when um when he missed a shot he was kind of muttering to himself and like making gestures it was like how i play you know hmm. um it, it wasn't like him um he didn't like take a bathroom break after he lost the second set and um what all of that kind of tells me is that he knew he was gonna lose you know um like it didn't really seem like he thought he was gonna win and so i'm curious like why i don't know it, like, did he, I, I, like, I just don't know what happened, you know? Um, like, I, like I said, I don't really, I don't think it was the age thing because there were literally no signs of that, like, going back two days before this match. Um, don't think Sinner, like, completely neutralized him. I think that was part of it, but he, like, why didn't he, um, you, you remember at the start of the third set, um, he kind of just became a wall for a little bit um, mm-hmm. and, and was just, like, getting stuff back. Why didn't he do that in the second set? Why did he wait to go down two sets before making an adjuster? Um, it, it, I don't know. It's just a bunch of things. And I I just have this... I just think there is something going on that we don't know about because I really, really struggled to explain what happened. Yeah, it's a, it was just a very weird match from Djokovic where he just... For anything, like it's almost like we were actually seeing like 2006 Djokovic playing against yeah. Edward in his peak. Where it's just like, oh, he's just a kid. Like he's obviously going to lose to the guy who's actually better and like more consistent right now. But that's not the case. Like this is 2024, and Djokovic is the best player in the world. Uh, had just won. Like he he was in the final of every single Grand Slam. Like almost, well, I guess almost like too too big a, a, a word. But like he he could have won Wimbledon and could have gone for the calendar year last year again. Um, if it wasn't for Akaraz, really. Um, and then he comes to the Australian Open and just loses that way. Like, I mean, how much of I I I don't buy the 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 age thing either. Like, I feel like you would have been like too rapid um, a decline for this to happen that way. But yeah, it's just I don't know. Maybe it would, just the lack of energy. Something happened. Maybe he was just like maybe he just didn't have the, a good practice time. Maybe he fought against somebody. No <laughs> one. I don't know. It was just it was just 
the weirdest Djokovic I've seen um, in the in in the past couple of years. Yeah, for me too. And I um, so I haven't watched his full press conference, but I did. I did see this quote from him that was like, I think it was sort of like, yeah, it was like I I don't know, like it was one of my worst performances, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's the beginning of the end or something. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I could be reading too much into this, but like when when I saw like doesn't necessarily mean I was like, uh, that's not like as emphatic of an answer as I would usually expect from him. You know, like I think I think recently it's like, um, you know, he's been very clear, like I'm coming for these records. Like remember at Wimbledon, he's like, they want to get a scalp, but it ain't happening. Like he doesn't really like mince his words when he's talking about his own level of tennis. Um and so when I saw like that doesn't necessarily mean it's the beginning of the end. I was like, I, it feels like he has some doubt himself for the mm. first time. Of course, it could just be like he picked the wrong word, um, you know, and like he's I don't know. He's just lost in an Australian Open semifinal for the first time ever. Um, but I, I don't know. I saw that answer and I was like, this does feel like a match that could kind of maybe make him start to think for the first time. Um mm. I don't know. Do you do you feel that at all? Like, or do you think he's gonna go out and win the French Open? Uh, I don't know. I think I keep saying like this to a few people already, but like we we haven't even entered the clay season yet. So like I don't I don't I have no idea who's gonna do that. But um, if maybe Djokovic has some reckoning to do like with himself, I think he should be looking more at the Fritz match rather than the Sinner. I think that if he's if he has anything to work with, it's just like forget about Sinner right now and just like look at the good stuff that he did. Which, as you said, it was just like a two day before he he played it. He played a great match two days before he played a really terrible match. Like it's okay. and then his last terrible match was gun gun goodness know how long ago. So like, yeah, I feel like if he's starting to doubt, there is something that we don't know. So there is like. Maybe an injury that he could that he cannot really get rid of. Maybe, um, maybe something that is is not really sitting right with him. Maybe he's feeling his energy level actually going going lower, and he can't really recover after after two matches like this. Um, who knows? Maybe that is something that um, we are going to be able to see more of uh, this season. But if we, if we have anything to go by from last season, is that I think that he still has. Maybe another two Grand Slams in him. I feel like so. Yeah. I I don't I don't think we should be writing him off like um, quickly um, just by this one match. I think that um, we will wait and see like when he comes back to Indian Wells in Miami, which he should be able to play this year. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> right. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, and um, j just one more thought on this, like um, to to put on my my tinfoil hat for a second and to just make some some projections. Um. Like, that—that that is the most interesting thing to me. When we talk about an injury, it's like, but he was fine in the Fritz match, right? Or at least, like, if not feeling fine, playing well. And so I'm like, I feel like the two options then are like, it was something that he made way worse in the Fritz match. Um, or he picked up something in the two days between the quarterfinal and the semifinal. And either way, I kind of went on court knowing that he had no chance. Yeah. Um, like, because it was so weird. Like he just fell behind immediately. He played a good first point, and then he fell behind immediately. I don't, and there was no like no sense of urgency whatsoever. Yeah. Um, like he didn't. Um, 
I, I don't know. He was fighting in the sense that, like, he was... I, I don't know if he was fighting, you know? Like, it, it just seemed like he was sort of going through the motions for a lot of it. Um, he could have broken a racket. He could have taken a bathroom break. He could have screamed at himself. These are all things that he has done before. Um, he didn't do any of that. So, yeah, I don't know. I think the thing I feel most confident saying is that there was something going on that he that we don't know and that he hasn't talked about yet. Um because I have no idea what happens still. Yeah, for sure. Maybe we'll see. Maybe he's going to come out like in a press conference after his next tournament or something, which I don't know it should be, but probably it's probably Dubai. He likes to play there. Um, so we'll see. We'll see if he wants to go all the way there now. But yeah, and the other player I think that surprised you again, like uh, the two finalists, um, Daniel Medvedev um, had a really rough path uh, towards the final, but he overcame. Um I think it was down to says to love twice in this tournament. Zverev and Rusevori. Um Rusevori, I had no doubt that he was going to win that match, uh, even when he was decides to love down. Um, but um Zverev, I don't know. Something tells me that he should have lost, but he refused to, which is great. But um the center match, uh and just overall he's like he he has been trying to like apply some differences in his game. Uh, I think that he's aiming for good enough. Um, like we were mentioning about the golf part, I yeah. think uh, uh, if he's going to try and do this, like maybe just mix it up a few things here and there. Uh, we had to talk about this on Twitter as well, I believe. So I don't know. Maybe he's he maybe he is. And I think that the biggest takeaway from Everett for me is just the fact that he seems to be liking the tennis again. Like the yeah. the Nadal match was a, a low point in in his career in 2022. Uh, and now he lost that match, but he looked, um, in a way, I think I said it as well, like in the video that he gave a standard answer is like, yeah, no, obviously disappointing to lose, but he's excited about what's coming next. Uh, and if you remember what, what he said after Nadal, it was just like, the kid has stopped dreaming. It was just almost like, right. he, it almost felt like he was going to retire like after this, that match just because of like pure hatred for the sport. Uh, yeah. So yeah. That's for me the best thing about Medvedev right now is that I can look forward to to see him playing and trying to get some some of his best tennis again. So, yeah, it, it did feel like we saw more like peak Medvedev than we've seen in a while. And like, I don't know, I e even the match he beat Alcaraz that was kind of like a singular performance. Like here, I think we saw more sustained insanity from him. That I, I agree that comeback against Zverev should not have happened like that. Um. He, so he's down, returning, 4-5 in the fourth set tiebreak, down two sets to one. And he hits he hits a forehand winner to get to five all. And then he hits an accidental drop-shot return winner off a of first serve. Um, and then immediately hits an ace, and that's a set. And then he, like, rolls through the fifth. Um, that's amazing. And then, the, um, and then the final, like, he comes out, like, hitting the ball bigger than center. Um, and... Is basically up to up six three five one before center knows what's going on. Um, that's the Medvedev I like fell in love with as a fan. You know what I mean? Um, so like that guy is still there. Um, the pessimist in me is like, well, he didn't have to play Alcaraz and he didn't have to play Djokovic and he still didn't win. Um, so I I do think there is like. I don't, the negative takeaway here, Sitter's just a better player than him. That's mm -hmm. it, right? Like, yeah. he wasn't, um, he was good enough to 
like that that great great game plan and that great execution got him two sets but then he got a little tired and his regular game just wasn't enough to get him another set um i don't know it's 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 sad um i like i'm more sad for him than i've been for a player in a while like he he spent more than 24 hours on court in two weeks um he set an open error record um and it wasn't just like those five setters like uh against uh borges um like nudo borges he um he's up two sets should have won the third but throws it away basically he does the thing where he's like serving super fast um and just losing point after point after point and so he loses that one has to play a fourth set um nothing came easy for him this tournament and then and i imagine there must have been a moment in that final when he was up two sets and and he was even he was six points away from winning four all and do sunset or serve in the third set. I feel like there was a moment where he probably let himself think like, "Oh crap, I'm actually going to win this, aren't I? Like, I'm I did all this work to stop myself from losing, and now I might actually win this tournament." And then you know, of course, as soon as that happens, it gets ripped away. Um, Sinner played a great final. He um, I, I've heard some people mention because again I didn't watch it, so I guess I don't know if he played a great final. But I, I saw some people say that he um he didn't really change anything in the third set, in the fourth and the fifth. He just kept making Medvedev do what he had been doing, and Medvedev kept do it. Um, yeah, you you can set the record straight on that one if you want. But I, I'm I'm just so sad for Medvedev. Like it feels it feels almost unfair that he didn't win that tournament. Yeah, I mean, I'm going off of like I've I watched the third and fourth set of that match um and then i went back to sleep <laughs> but um but from what the commentators were saying from what some um twitter people were saying as well and from the graph from a graphic that i saw a specific graphic about center's return position center actually made some tactical changes in the third set that helped him um make the points uh longer and not allow medvedev short balls to so he so that he could attack so that he could keep Medvedev uh, in the neutral rally in his own service game. I think obviously, I think Medvedev definitely looked a, a whole lot tired, more tired than he, than he was. Um, I'm not, I think that it's partially because of the, the many hours that he spent on court um, and maybe the super aggressive tennis that he was playing kind of pushed him a little bit too far uh, and he couldn't sustain it. Maybe because of the fact that he was so tired already because of the tournament, maybe if he had a, a bit of a, 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 a more um, calm path towards the the final, like a, a less uh, you know something with like less less crazy matches and less crazy comebacks. I think he could have maybe won that third set. Maybe he could have uh, toughened it out, but he just didn't have the energy to it. He just looked like he he couldn't make it. Um, he was trying to go to the net, uh, and he was working actually. He was playing some really great volleys. But he started making errors of the forehand, like um, I think both the third and fourth set, he actually hit a forehand and forced error to end the, to get broken and give the set away. Um, and Sinner actually took a step, like some big steps back from the return of serve. Um, I think that the commentators are saying at some point that he was actually trying to like be really close to the, the, the baseline so that he could cut off the Medvedev a wide serve. Um, but then he wasn't working anyways, uh, so I ended up doing it. He was actually like right by the baseline for sets one and two to return all serves, and then he went back to the Melbourne side uh, in the third set, and then the match got long, and then he 
he didn't necessarily have to change anything in in the terms in the sense of like the neutral rallies like um he wasn't forced to play amazing shots here and there he played amazing shots here and there because it's cinder and he likes to be flashy um but he he wasn't forced to um go above and beyond he just made some technical changes that made zverev work harder and that was it um for for it and um of course like winning the third set uh, i think was a major relief for cinder he was basically a different player uh, he just never really felt, it, from his own uh, body language, um, Sinner was passing that he never felt that he was going to lose that match after the third set. He was just like, okay, I know what I'm doing, and it doesn't look like Medvedev is going to change. And his, his level never dropped. He, he felt like a machine just kind of like going going with the flow um, and playing well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, props for Medvedev to actually kind of making the competitive after the third set. But... Um, but he was all sinner from then on. So, yeah. But I think that maybe we have seen the the ceiling for Medvedev. Um, but at least it's high enough that we can get, like, some really good competitive matches. So we'll see what happens next. Yeah, and I don't know. Maybe there will be a tournament when he doesn't have to play Djokovic, Alcaraz, or Sinner. And then he should win that one. But, um, and yeah, I, I do want to distinguish this final between from the uh, the one Medvedev lost to Nadal. Um because this one, it seems like he didn't really have chances to win. Then it all won all three of the sets he lost. He had chances, especially the third. Um, and this one, it really seems like after the second set that he won, he was um, he was just pretty solidly outplayed. Uh, where the Nadal one, I think, was more of a choke. Um, and then w- one more thing on center, I I do want to say like, and I think this speaks to maybe he hasn't found his ceiling yet. A- after he won, I saw a lot of people saying like. Oh, like um, Darren Cahill's done such a great job with him, and um, he's he's reached the pinnacle. And I'm like, he's been working with Cahill for a while. Like, this didn't happen at Wimbledon or the U.S. Open, and I I don't disagree that Cahill has done a great job with him. But what I mean to say is, like, I think the biggest difference between this tournament and the other tournaments was just that like Center never played badly at any point, right? Like the um, the match he lost to Zverev at the U.S. Open. He, he was a better player than Zverev. He shouldn't have lost that one, but he did. Um, and in this tournament, he did everything he was supposed to. Um, I think that was the biggest takeaway for me. You know, like, he didn't really change any. I don't think, like, he, he served very well, but um, he did everything really well. Um, and, like, he didn't really, like, revamp his game. So I don't think it was... Um, like, I don't think he's, like, completed his evolution. I think he just um, kind of... I don't know, like uh, blocked up the leaks in his uh, in his past performances. Um, I think he can still get better. Yeah, I mean, uh, as we said before, like I don't think we've seen we've seen Sinner being pushed, so we didn't we didn't really get to see him uh, having to problem solve against the best players in the world. We've seen this before against Alcaraz, but we've seen this against Djokovic as well, like last year. Um, but just like looking for for more of these matches if they can uh, play again. Um, at Roland Garros or Wimbledon, the US Open, some of the Masters that are coming up. I think that this is going to be interesting to see. But yeah, that's basically my biggest takeaway, I guess, from, from this one. I think that maybe the biggest def- difference, like in terms of like, the Nadal match, uh, for Medvedev, I think that one of the biggest things is that maybe Medvedev never expected to win this tournament. So it was just like playing, taking it match by match, um, just point by point 
And I think he served way better against Nadal. And exactly like Wazi said, I think he kind of choked. <laughs> but yeah, he could have served way better versus, uh, against Sinner. And I think that's something that he should be looking into with uh, with Jill after our after this one. And th- that's a great point that I don't think he expected to win this one. Um, like I think, um, yeah, and, and probably as soon as he did it, let himself expect to win it. Uh, like in the middle of that final was when he lost. Not saying that's the reason why, but yeah, I, I think you're totally right. And it it is interesting that the psychological effect that has on players. Like I don't want to waste like podcast time talking about him but Zverev has that like he when he's expected to win the guy just falls apart and um and everyone again everyone is very lucky that that happens because um he was really he was two points away from making the final and by you know our friends at open era talked about this like he would have been giving given a speech um the other finalist would have been saying nice things about him the tournament like it's really, really good that we avoided that situation. But as long as ATP doesn't do anything, it is a risk. And like he's, he's been playing well. He just beat Alcaraz again. Um, it's really, really worrying, you know. Like, and I think, I hate to say it, but I think as long as everyone continues to push their luck, like probably he will be in a final at some point. Um, and uh, who knows? He could win. Like he. Yeah, and like again, I don't want to talk much about it, but like we're we're really lucky that like Medvedev won that match, um, and um, because when Zverev beat Alcaraz, that like that could have that could have been a major problem, um, a major problem. That's just yeah, right, right, Mustard yeah, yeah. Sorry, uh, yeah. The point you make is obviously serious, like in that regard, um, yeah. It's just a really a huge shame. I, I do like the fact that a lot more uh, media outlets are deciding to speak about it. I think at this point, when uh, the the accusations got to like the actual just uh, legal system, I think it was probably green light for everybody to be like, okay, now we can talk about this because it's actually happening. It's public knowledge in that regard, so we can you know set some speculations here and there. Um, it's definitely awful for the game when he's just answering the questions the way he is. Like, as in, um, at some point, like somebody said, like, are you going to be attending the trial? Um, and there are ways that you can answer this, uh, regardless, like to for to defend your PR nature or something like that. I feel like even his team is like, who cares at this point? Like, uh, the ATP isn't doing anything. The guy's still making millions. Everybody's promoting him. There's no need to like protect his <laughs> his public image anymore because everybody else is already doing it for free so um, yeah i'm freaking patrick morata glue but um exactly but but, but yeah i mean what, what zverev could do is like not be an asshole about all of this like when people yeah. are asking him about it say like no comment there's going to be a trial instead of like and everyone with a decent iq knows that this yeah. isn't a thing or something like dude like ah god and it's yeah I, it's, it's things like this that i think like just make it impossible to defend him on any level. Cause if he were saying like, yeah, I, I believe really strongly in like that, like domestic violence is awful and I would never do this. And he, I don't know, be like a super gentle guy on court. Then like, he'd probably have more people defending him. Um, but instead you see him like, I don't know, like the, the racket thing in Acapulco with the umpire and yeah. like the way he handles it, it does not point to like an innocent guy, does it? So, 
Yeah, I mean, it's 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 just really awful. Like in, in that regard, I think that when he says like, and to to the question that he answered this, um, oh, like I just played four hours of tennis, and this is what you ask. It's like, yeah, this is what I ask because like mm-hmm. tennis is definitely a secondary issue here. Like, I mean, it's just saying like, it's like it, there's a ways that you can even answer this. Like, I feel like as this what I said, like I feel like nobody cares anymore. Like, not even him, because like, he could just easily say like, hey, look, I'm I'm right now, like I'm really frustrated. Uh, this I just lost a really important match for me. Like, um, I would rather not comment on this matter or something. Like, so, uh, so I, I would just I'll happily take just the next question. I just be at least like polite. You can you can do so many different things, um, and even I'm I'm just kind of playing like devil's advocate in a sense here. Just be saying like, oh no, it's like maybe he got acquitted in his trial. I don't I don't think that's gonna happen because they they already decided that. Um, he was guilty at the first time, so that's already something that we should take take into account. Um, because, yeah, but I mean, just at the very least, like be polite. But I think he's just being given all the platform to just continue to be uh, disrespectful towards everybody. And right. just when everybody promotes him like that, everybody just talks to him, talks about him like a like. For some reason, the next big thing, like a, a, a big guy, like Netflix gives him an entire episode. Uh, I think that it just gives him a platform to say like, hey, everybody loves me. So like, I don't care. Like everybody can come at me like I can do anything to anybody. And I, as you said, I the I the the things that, that we can see from the outside and from even the, the initial um, uh, thing that he has to do, like the, the fine that he has to pay, which with for which he was considered guilty for, just point towards uh, not innocent. And there is also seems to be a history. That is not the first time that this happens, and is kind of too close from from the two accusations, like the Olga Sharipova uh, thing, and then now like his uh, um, the mother of his child. So I mean, it, yeah. Uh, you, you cut out for a second, Andre. Uh, right when you said Olya. Yeah, like when she. It's too close. Uh, those two things are too close from each other, for for it to be like too much of a coincidence. So, yeah, I don't think it doesn't look good for him, and the fact that he doesn't recognize that makes it even worse for him, honestly. Yeah, and like if you read like um, Olio's story, like that Ben Rothenberg reported on, like it's a very very detailed story. Mm-hmm. Like, it's people do not go to that much trouble to smear someone, like it's it would be completely insane and the fact that i don't know so many people are saying like oh she's like as she's making it up or whatever like out of the fact that that's what people are jumping to is crazy um and yeah i don't know i feel like of the people who read that story in good faith like no one wants verev on court um and so we want him in court not on court a uh, little tennis joke there um but um, yeah, so I wish that I I wish the tournaments would do something and like even even as far as like not unnecessarily like promoting him or putting him yep. on raw labor, like you don't need to put him on your main courts, guys. Like you don't need to market him. So just like you know, market some other players. It's not very hard. Um, like he's not well, like you said, he's not the next big thing. He like you you tried to push him as that. He wasn't. He still hasn't won a major. Not that that would make any of this okay, but it's like, it, like there's an option available to people where it's like, 
you don't have to view this guy as the main character. Like the break point thing is just insane to me. Um, like, why would you, there's no way that they didn't know about the allegations. Like if you did any research at all, any, like you would know that. Um, and they were like, you know, what would be a good idea? Let's make this guy the hero. And let's like try to make Medvedev the villain, which like, I don't even know why you have to connect the two. Um, it like, I don't know. I think it just shows how like, it's another example of how nonsensical that was, but yeah. that was crazy. And, um, oh God. And yeah, I, I think we talked about this before, but again, like people are going to watch that episode and like, they'll feel like, oh, he's so great. He came back from an ankle injury. Let me like Google him and see what's going on. Yeah. And they see like going to court in May for assaulting someone. Yeah. Um, like you really want to burn off fans like that Netflix like you had to know that was going to happen too um like that's what's going to happen when you like create this false picture of someone so anyway this is turning into a bit of a rant um it's like he's going to keep going deep in tournaments man because he's playing well so yeah I hope someone does something about it yeah it's a the sad truth is that like it seems like not only um they're not doing anything about it and he doesn't seem not only not bothered by it but motivated to play better because of this um but yeah i think there's of all the several ways that people could be handling it like organizations could be could be handling it this is not it i I just do think that they chose like probably the worst path possible to deal with the the things that uh, are happening with the sverif so yeah, it's just a unfortunate shadow that lurks around the tennis world right now. But um, yeah, hopefully we will, we don't have to deal with this like for the whole year. Um, if the trial happens in a way and it just gives us something, so yeah. Uh, but yeah, enough of us <laughs> freaking Zverev and um, let's yeah. I guess uh, we can close this one right now. Like uh, as you said before, Varsh is going to be coming back with Steve Flink uh, later this week to be. Um, reviewing mostly the men's uh, the ATP side of the tour um, and of the tours rather and, uh, and yeah it's going to be another great one I'm excited to hearing it and um, yeah thanks for everybody for listening to this podcast thanks for uh, subscribing to YouTube channel if you if you do so or sharing videos or sharing our podcast with your friends and family um, whoever um, and yeah make sure that you can follow that you follow us on our social media as well uh, we are at Tennis and Bagels. Owen is at Tennis Nation. I'm at Roland Andre and Varsh is at Varsh V2K. Um, and yeah, thanks so much. Thanks, Owen. Any final remarks? I don't think so. Yeah, aside from the Zverev thing, I think I think it was an amazing tournament. Um, I was at the 2023 Australian Open, so that one always is going to hold a special place in my heart. But the quality of tennis this year, I think, was immeasurably better. Um, I think it's a great way to kick off the season. Um, and I'm excited for the rest of 2024. Yeah, me too. All right. Thanks, everyone. And um, yeah, see you guys next time. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.